Hello, and welcome to the Agape House of Worship weekly podcast. Through this podcast, we hope and pray that you will be equipped and empowered to live the life that God has planned for you. If you are blessed by this message and would like more information, please visit our website at www.agapehousenj.org. Thank you and God bless. So thank you, Janet. Thank you, uh, the team, for uh, still showing up for us. Uh, God bless you. Thank you. Amen and amen and amen. We are going to go into the Word, and I'm going to be introducing our speaker now, uh, who is going to come. Uh, Bishop Matera, uh, thankfully, has been there once, here once. We had a leadership conference in 2019. Uh, that was... Uh, you know, those days when we didn't have to social distance. <laughs> so, you know, he spoke to us, blessed us on a Friday evening at a very, very short notice. Uh, and I, you know, it was really such a blessing. Uh, but what happened after that time was the Lord really started to build a relationship between both of us. Uh, it was at a time when I actually needed a relationship. Uh, and uh, praying for one. Uh, praying for, uh, you know, a mentor in ministry, uh, uh, a father in ministry, and trusting God for one. And that's when the Lord brought us together. We were introduced by Pastor Raul. That's why he's, you know, Pastor Raul has to go plan for his church. Uh, but Pastor Karin is still here. I'm sure you are, you know, here to support. Thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, since, since that late 2019, the Lord has really uh, been developing a relationship uh, between uh, Bishop Matera and I. And that relationship is really strong, fully formed, and I, I'm really happy to present him to you today uh, to bring the word. Bishop Matera is an apostolic leader. Uh, he's a founding pastor of Resurrection Church in New York, Brooklyn, and Staten Island. He's a father to many in ministry, including me. Uh, thank God for that. Uh, his teaching has reached thousands and thousands of people, uh, has gone over 170 nations. Uh, he leads several organizations. Uh, one of them is the U.S. Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. Another one is uh, Christ Covenant Coalition, which is a coalition of uh, apostolic leaders and pastors, uh, of which I have become a member, uh, and our church has become a member. Thank God for that. Amen. Um, I have been so enriched by Christ Covenant Coalition, I can't even tell you how much value uh, that fellowship has brought to me personally. Many people ask, how did you survive the pandemic? How did you hold up emotionally? How were you able to be there every Sunday uh, strong with courage? I owe part of it to uh, the Christ Covenant Coalition. Amen. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, around the time I started to fellowship with Christ Covenant Coalition. And every week, every Thursday, 
I join this fellowship every Thursday. I'm refreshed. I'm ministered to. I am encouraged. You know, 30, 40, sometimes 50 pastors gather together to pray for one another, uh, to share what is going on, whether what is going on in the nation about race issue, whether politics issue, but most especially what is going on in our lives, how we can be better pastors, how we can be better individuals. And, uh, and I thank God for Bishop Matera for the vision to put that together and for, you know, you know just, just creating such an atmosphere uh, that is rich uh, in fellowship, theologically, very rich. Uh, Bishop Matera is a theologian. He's not just, a, you know, he's a theologian, very, very knowledgeable. He's, but he's also someone with a, the Father's heart. And that's the biggest thing I tell my wife. The biggest thing I, talk, I love about Bishop Matera is his Father's heart. He's such a father. He's such a caring person. He's such a down-to-earth person. Uh, you know, not many people will just give you their phone. You can call him anytime. Uh, and I really, really love that about him. So I'm proud to introduce him today uh, as my father in ministry. I, I'm proud to introduce him today and to bring the word to be a blessing to you. Uh, and I trust that you will be blessed by his words, by his grace, and by the gift of God over his life. I want the church to rise up as I introduce uh, Dr. Joseph Matera to bring the word and this invitation. Before he starts speaking, he came here with some of his books. Uh, I'm going to get a chance to announce them in details at the end uh, so that you can, you know, be blessed. He's an author of so many books. Many of them have gone all over the world, and they will be at the lobby, and you can get them. And for those of you who are watching online, we'll give you information to be able to uh, buy them online as well. Thank you, Bishop. God bless you. And thank you. You may be seated. It's so... It's an honor for me to be here. Uh, don't worry, that's just the anointing on me. Um, the uh, blessing to be here is uh, beyond words, to see what God has done in 15 years and uh, gotten to know Pastor Gidi and Kimbola. And I, I wondered if he was an engineer because of the way he thinks. And then I found out he was an engineer <laughs> because he's very strategic. He's very process-orientated, very rational and logical. He's not just shooting from the hip and incredibly knowledgeable of practical things and theology. And him and his wife have added so much to our fellowship. Um, and we also have a private theological gathering of about 18 of us once a month. And both of them have extraordinary insight into the scriptures. So I want to commend them to you as great leaders. Um, so you have many apostolic leaders who are practitioners but don't, do not know a lot of scripture. They know, you know, they know enough to preach, but they're focused more on just practice. But they are a combination of both. They know a lot of the word of God, the scriptures, the theology of the word, as well as being practitioners. So uh, that's why you're developing deep, deep-rooted disciples. And that's why his concern is not just on growth, 
Because if all you think about is crowds and growth, you won't raise up disciples. So that's why the main focus here is a healthy church, which also means making disciples. And that's why this church will continue on even way after they're here on the earth. There'll be another generation and another generation because it's a solid foundation. So I thank God. I want to thank uh, Pastor Raul and Karim who introduced me. Uh, they've been dear friends of mine since 1995. Extraordinary leaders have been involved in the life of their city and raised up such a strong church. And during this pandemic, this church has been a blessing to them and allowed them to meet uh, in one of your facilities. So I want to thank you on behalf, being their bishop, I want to thank you on behalf of this couple at their church for what you have done to help them during this pandemic. Our church in Staten Island hasn't been able to meet uh, maybe for, you know, eight months. And we just planted it three years ago. So I know how hard it is to, to do this uh, in the midst of the pandemic. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, for giving us each other. The greatest gift besides Jesus himself is the church and that we have each other to fall back on, to love, to encourage each other in the Lord. And so, Father, we pray that as the word of God is shared today, that we would understand it, you would open up our hearts, and that you'd give me the words to speak so I could speak the very words of God himself, as it says in 1 Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometime in the 1920s, there was a, a young lady who was very, very distraught because she found out that her husband was unfaithful, and he didn't want to make the marriage work, and this was in Puerto Rico, and uh, she was more of a Spanish heritage from Spain. He was a native of uh, Puerto Rico. And she was just heartbroken and had to leave to come to this country, to the United States. She came to New York City, and she tried to go to church. She was Roman Catholic. And when they found out that she divorced her husband, they put her out of the church. They didn't listen to her side of the story that she was abused and cheated on and there was no recourse in her life but to leave. So she left her small children with her sister, came to New York to see if she could make a way. And when she was rejected by that church, she was walking the streets of lower Manhattan just crying and weeping because she felt like God rejected her, that God didn't love her. She didn't know what to do. She was a woman who loved God. At that point, she didn't know God the way we do, but she knew God as well as she could at that point, as raised in that church. And while she was walking and weeping and distraught, she heard the sound of a church worship service from a storefront it sounded similar to this. It was a Pentecostal church. 
It happened to be a Spanish Pentecostal church. So she heard the tambourines, the singing, the informality of it, the spontaneity of it. And uh, she was intrigued as it seemed like the spirit of Jesus was drawing her into this Pentecostal service. And so she went inside, and the next thing you know, they embraced her, loved her in spite of her brokenness, in spite of her divorce, and she wound up giving her life to Jesus Christ sometime in the 1920s. She started going to Glad Tidings Tabernacle not long after that. I think uh, one of the pastors there was uh, Brother uh, Brown or something. I can't remember his name now. But uh, within a few years, she launched her own mission. And uh, it was in Lower Manhattan. And then she began a church. She began bringing the homeless in. Uh, she eventually brought her children over. And... Uh, my mother was seven years old when she came over from Puerto Rico. And while her mother was out preaching, she would preach in the streets for three hours a day. She would dress in a white dress. She would pray three hours a day. Her, her knees were like camel skin because she prayed so much. And my mother was home with her blind aunt and who raised her the best she can, and she said there was always homeless people in the house. Eventually, she found the church building, and that was the kind of life my mother lived for many years. Eventually, my grandmother, her name was Antonite, my grandmother became the first ordained woman Hispanic minister in New York City history. And she pastored a church for 60 years. Eventually, she had such an apostolic calling on her life. I still don't know the whole story, but she purchased three huge apartment buildings, and one of them housed the, the church. Uh, each apartment building probably had like 60 families. And so she was an entrepreneur. She cared for the poor. She preached, and she served her community. And uh, my mother didn't continue serving the Lord. I was raised Roman Catholic with my, my family, um, and uh, they, I had no idea what coming to Christ was personally, but thank God for the Catholic faith. Thank God for the catechism. Thank God for the story of Christ that I learned, but nobody ever told me how to receive Christ personally. By the time I was 16 years old, my mother personally committed herself to Jesus. And uh, she came to Christ when she saw Catholic priests and nuns saying that even though they were Catholic and they were priests, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but now they did. And she saw them praising God and speaking in tongues and worshiping the Lord. My mother was so touched. This was in Syracuse, New York. She gave her life to Christ, and I saw an immediate change in her life. At the age of 16, I started going to church with her once in a while. At that point, I was a professional, on my way to being a professional musician. I was a child prodigy on the guitar, and I was on my way to being, uh, being famous in music. And uh, the long story short, three years later, at the age of 19, I gave my life to Jesus. And 
I said all that before I start teaching from 2 Timothy because I wanted to show you firsthand how there is a generational blessing. Not only spiritual children, but biological. And I sense that the Lord laid this message on my heart for this church because I believe that God has called you to build a generational church. A church that is not just for young people and not just for old people, but for multiple generations in the same way that Moses and Joshua coexisted and there was at least three or four generations living together that came into the promised land. We have to understand that God has called us to be a multi-generational church and I just sense that today for you. And I want you to have a vision for the future that even exceeds your own lifetime. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just. So God is a generational God. My grandmother prayed her whole family, with the exception of a few that I knew of, into the kingdom. My dad, who is more of an Italian heritage, although who knows what it is when you go way back. I never did a family tree. Not one of his family members came to Christ that I know of. But my grandmother, even if we never met each other, even if they lost touch with her, we found out cousins and pastors in California and people all over the country and in Puerto Rico were, were saved. And I believe it's because of all those hours on her knees. And so I am the recipient of my grandmother's legacy. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son in the faith, grace, peace, and mercy from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors, See that generational reference with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you also. A church is called to be a family of families. It doesn't take the place of the biological family. It is a family of biological families. So we have to understand that. And so he goes on to say, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but which now has been manifested through the appearing of Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel." And so when we look at this, the first point I want to make in 2 Timothy 
is that the church was planned many, many generations ago. It says that he called us to a holy calling, and it says that he gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before the world or the ages began. And so God thought so much about this church. God thought so much about you. He thought so much about me. He thought so much about uh, Pastor Raul and uh, Karim and their church and all of the true gospel-preaching churches of the world. He thought so much about us that it says even before Adam and Eve were created, God planned a purpose for us as churches. Isn't that amazing? Whenever you have something in your life that is important to you, you plan, right? Unless it's a crisis or an emergency, if you're a young couple and you, get, you want to get married, you plan everything out a year or two years, sometimes ahead of time. And it's because that is so precious to you. Well, God thinks that you're so precious that he literally conceived you in his heart and mind before your mother knew you. Even as he said to Jeremiah, before you were born, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you to be, and in his case, it was a prophet. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word, word, logos, means uh, reason, thinking, uh, truth, has several meanings. God says that in the beginning, that is before the world, was the word. Do you know that scientists tell us that the lowest possible way of collapsing a cell, the simplest form of a cell is what's called DNA. You know what scientists call DNA? The language of God. In other words, every cell has an intricate mix of words that program it to do and to become what it's supposed to be, whether it's a human, whether it's your personality, your color, your gifts, your natural abilities. All of this was programmed before your mother even knew you. Jesus, it says in the beginning was the word, I believe that he spoke a prophetic word before the world began over your life, which resulted in you getting a human body that could walk out the purpose that you have now. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that you are here shows that God spoke a prophetic word over you in the beginning was the word. Now, that is talking theologically about Jesus. The word was with God. The word was God. But we also know because Jesus created everything that everything started with his word. So when it says in the beginning was the word, it's the beginning of all things. It all started with Jesus. You started with Jesus, not with your parents. You started with Jesus, the purpose you have, the personality you have. This church, the reason why this church is still here after all that it has gone through, moving from one place to the next, the ups and the downs, the pandemic, is because Jesus called you from the beginning of time. He knew you from eons ago. He knew you before there was even light in the world, before there was the animal kingdom, before there was the birds of the air, the fish in the sea. He had a purpose for agape house church 
before the world began. Isn't that amazing? And that's why there is nothing that takes God by surprise. That's why you're still here. That's why when you go through the fire, you will not be burned. That's why when you go through the rivers, you will not drown. Because God called you. God knew you. And God says that when he rested on the seventh day, he blessed everything he made. He already blessed you. You can't be cursed. You can't curse that which God has blessed. You can't stop that which God has created. You can't stop the motion of that which God has put into motion. And that's why you're going to finish the race. And this church is going to fulfill its calling. So the first thing we want to learn in 2 Timothy is that we are a generational church. Even before anybody was born on this earth, God said, I'm giving you a purpose. That's why it also says in the book of Revelation 13 that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. That's deep stuff. God knew that his son would die on a cross even before Adam ate of the fruit. You can't outsmart our God, huh? Amazing stuff. And so that's the first thing. You were planned as a church before the world began. Second thing is God initiated family. Before there was human government, there was family. God created Adam and Eve. He told them to bear fruit and multiply. And he wanted us to perpetuate families that served him. He said to Abram, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so we see here this example of what God's mind and heart is, that Timothy, as we know it in Acts 17, or it might be Acts 16, he was a Jewish, he was uh, the son of a Jewish uh, woman. His father was a Greek. We don't know if his father was saved. His father is not mentioned here at all. It, very, it is very likely that he was raised in the faith by a single mother, starting with his grandmother. Isn't that amazing? Some of us come from broken families. Some of us come from, in this society, so many don't even have two parents living at home. And a lot of times, it's mostly a woman left alone or a grandmother, and we lose hope. But, boy, we look at this, we see this grandmother helped raise Timothy that we're still reading about 2,000 years later who made an impact. Paul said, I have nobody like him. All seek their own. Everybody's out for their own selfish needs. But here is Timothy. Who raised him? His grandmother and his mother. Isn't that something? His father isn't even mentioned, even though we need dads, of course. But in this case, God says, even though it's a unique situation, even though the father wasn't involved, even though the father may not have been saved, I still have my hand on this young man. In spite of our challenges in family, in spite of our psychological challenges, in spite of our economic challenges, in spite of the neighborhood we come from, in spite of all of the issues that we have to face, God still has his hand upon you he had his hand upon my grandmother in that broken situation. He had his hand on my mother. He had his hand on me. And I, he knew me before I knew him. I didn't choose him. He chose me. Isn't that amazing? And that's why we're here. So we see that there were three generations mentioned there. Uh, we see Lois, his grandmother, Eunice. And we see that they brought him up knowing the scriptures. Let's go to 2 
Timothy 3, and then it says in verse 15, Paul is telling Timothy, he's reminding him how from childhood, somebody say childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So the primary place of biblical discipleship is in the biological family. We are called to train our children in the scriptures. We are called to get them to memorize scripture, to know scripture. By the time my son was five years old, he knew more of the stories of the Bible than most pastors I know. We constantly went over the scriptures. I made believe I was Goliath or David and communicated to them in their own language and made sure they understood what the scripture was talking about. And so we see here that the first line of discipleship starts in the family. Someone say, in the family. In the family. And someone might say, well, I'm a single mom. I have, a, you know, it's very hard. Well, Timothy had a single mom, at least only a mom he could depend on, and a grandmother. And so we understand the importance of this. And the reason why we're talking about this is because in 2 Timothy we see it's a generational book. It's the last letter Paul wrote before he was executed. He wanted to say the most important things he could possibly say before leaving the earth. And the first thing he said was he's reminding us that we had a purpose from eternity. Second thing, he's telling us the importance of family in making disciples. And the reason why a church has to understand this is because a church is a family of families. Somebody say family of families. We are only as strong as our marriages or as our families, and that's why it's so important that we pour into our children, biological and spiritual. And if we're not married, we still have a family here. If we're single, we're divorced, or if we're orphaned, then the church is everything that we're in lack of. If we don't have a father at home for a son or a daughter or a mother, then the church could be that as well, and that's where we come in. So we become a family of families. And so that the first thing is we are church born from eternity. The second thing is we're a family of families. And in this case, we see three generations. And then, where does the church come in? Well, Paul took a young man who already knew the scriptures, and then he said, I want to remind you, verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, it wasn't his grandmother's hands. It wasn't his mother's hands. It was his hands. So we see that even though Timothy was saved, Timothy was called, Timothy was discipled by his grandmother and his mother, he still needed the church to step in because they didn't have all the gifts and they didn't have the apostolic calling on them. And so you have a church now that it's a collective of people with various gifts, various abilities, 
And that's where we need to make sure we get our young people in church. We get them in the youth ministry, get them in the young adults ministry, get them in the Sunday school, even the nursery, whatever it is, because we can't be the only voice. And so Paul was the one that fanned into flame originally the calling that uh, Timothy eventually had as an apostle. We can't be everything to all people. That's why we need each other. As a matter of fact, uh, we've had five biological children. We've taken in about three others. We had legal guardianship over a few, and we always have people living with us for a certain amount of time just to help them, whether they were dying of cancer, whether they needed deliverance, whether they just didn't have a father at home, they needed to stay with us for a while. Our house has always been full, but we have five biological children. And uh, man, I'll tell you, it was tough. You're not really baptized until your children turn 13. Man. And I will tell you, and my wife, if she was here, she would tell you, if it wasn't for the body of Christ, some of them may not continue to serve God. We had our Uncle Lenny living at our house. He was our youth pastor, and he just came over my house, stayed with me for two weeks, vacation, wound up being three years. He wound up becoming one of the pastors of the church and elders. And, uh, you know, he was just an amazing asset to us that spoke into our kids. Two of my children gave their life to Christ when he was preaching in Sunset Park in a street meeting. Maybe it was three. Um, we've had prophetic people. We've had people in the church. We've had people who are outside of our local church come and speak into our family, give prophetic words, pray for them, prophesy, even give counsel. And I've connected some of them to have mentors outside of our house. There are some things our kids maybe felt funny telling us about, or maybe they thought they'd get in trouble. So they needed outside voices part of the family to speak. We see Paul put his hand upon Timothy, meaning there was a personal touch. It wasn't just religion. It was human. It wasn't just, you know, well, we're worshiping together. We're in church together. There was a personal relationship. As a matter of fact, here we see Timothy uh, it doesn't seem like there was a dad involved in his life. We don't know if his father died at that point. We have no idea what happened. But Paul calls Timothy his own child, his son in the faith. He didn't take the place of his biological family, but he became that which his biological family couldn't be. And so because the calling of God is so great on our children, we need multiple voices or trusted voices. They need to be in the church. They need to have others speaking into them, and they need to have uh, uh, other people bringing the impartation. Not even myself, even though I have an apostolic call, I couldn't do everything and be everything my children needed. Does that make sense? Yes. Man, I need support. My wife needs support. And sometimes when we're at wit's end, we just make a call, and we call auntie this or auntie that or have prayer meetings. And 
uh, you know, and, and when one of my children was having a, you know, a big problem phys, uh, uh, with marriage and different things, man, we had people praying in the morning for an hour, at night for two or three hours. We went on six weeks until there was reconciliation and healing. Let me tell you something. We couldn't have done that ourselves. I would be worn out. I couldn't make it. Oh, thank God for the church. Somebody say, thank God for the church. Wow. We need the aunties and the titis and the uncles and the brothers and man. Didn't matter that Uncle Lenny was an African-American from Flatbush. He was my kid's uncle. He stayed in the same room for three years. And when they look at him, well, he passed away two years ago, one of the most traumatizing times for my family. It just crushed them. Like I've never seen anybody crush them. Because we were family, not just church. Not even just friends. We were family. No matter what happened, we're family. Man, I, I love the church for that reason. She brought us together. It's not just laying hands on spiritually or imparting gifts, but look at what Timothy said. I'm sorry, Paul said to Timothy, verse 10. He said to Timothy, You have followed my teaching, but look at this, my conduct. In this day and age when there's so many scandals, how many can say you followed my conduct? You could be the greatest apologist the world has ever seen, the greatest theologian. But how is your walk? Do you have a prayer life? Are you seeking God? Do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Are you different in public than you are in private? Paul said, you've seen my conduct. Timothy traveled with him. You know my goals in life, my faith, my patience, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He was literally stoned to death in Iconium, we see in Acts chapter 14. One of the things that Paul did was take young men with him on trips, and they saw how he lived in, in the midst of great crises. What you are and what's inside of you will come out the most in crises. And Paul is reminding Timothy, you saw the persecutions and how I endured. Part of how we make disciples is how do we respond? My pastor used to always say to me, it is never a crisis that will kill you. It is never what is going on on the outside that determines your destiny. What will determine your destiny is how you respond to it. And what Paul is saying is you see how I've lived and responded. And so we see that part of it. And um, there's more I could read about that, but let's go to the fourth point of this. We're just doing a quick review of 2 Timothy 4. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4. And then Paul, he gets very grave here, starting with verse 6. First he says in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. And then he goes on to say, be sober-minded, endure suffering. He didn't say avoid suffering, you notice? He said endure it. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So now the first part of this was how God had a purpose for you before the age began. The second, God had a purpose for your biological family. Third, God had a purpose for you through the church. Fourth, you have an assignment. Somebody say, I have an assignment. Paul's reminding us, be faithful to the assignment. And so he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. That's a Hebrew, uh, it was a Jewish um, sacrifice, a libation. You, you pour out like you can kill an animal or a turtle dove or a lamb or a goat. Sometimes they poured out libations. And so basically he's saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, meaning my life is about to end. I'm not dying empty. Everything I have inside of me is coming out before I go. Are you going to die empty? Are you going to write every book you're called to write, every poem? Every, are you going to utter every prayer, love every person, go the extra mile? Are you going to waste your purpose, your gifts, your talent? Are you going to die with all of that still inside of you? I remember Miles Monroe used to say, that when you go to the uh, cemetery, you see all of the purpose that's wasted. You read the names and the life and the span they had and wonder if they fulfilled their purpose. So Paul is saying, I'm dying empty. I am being poured out. Nothing is going to be left. Like Jesus on the cross, the last words he said, it is finished. Right? He didn't say, oh, no, 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 Father. Give me some more time. Give me another month. I got some loose ends. No, 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 no. Finish it. With long life, he will satisfy you. And show you salvation. But satisfy means you got to finish the work. You can't die unsatisfied. And so he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I want to be able to say this when that day comes. I'm 62. I don't know when that day is going to come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. When Uncle Lenny passed away, we knew his assignment was finished. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day, not only to me, but all who love his appearing. Wow. He talks about a crown of righteousness that is awaiting us. It comes to those who finish the assignment. Paul said, when he stood trial before Nero, verse 16, at my first offense, no one came to, to me, to stand by me. All deserted me. When you're finishing your race or when you're in your assignment, sometimes people aren't going to stand by you. Sometimes you'll be betrayed. But he said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message could be proclaimed and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. What Paul is saying there is, you have immortality until you finish your assignment. 
He said, the Lord's going to deliver me from every evil attack. Yet he was saying he's about to die. What did he mean by that? Well, the devil can't kill you until you finish your work. The greatest thing that will protect you physically will be sticking to your assignment in spite of challenges. It's not just confessing the word. You got a bunch of people speaking in tongues, confessing the word. They're rebels. They don't submit to spiritual authority, talking bad about the church, never give, never invest. They hoard all their money. You're not in your assignment. God has called us to die empty. And he says there is laid up for us a crown. Jesus said in Revelation, um, I think it's 317, but I could be wrong. He said to the church, let nobody steal your crown. Now, what does that mean? How could someone steal your crown? Well, we see here the crown has to do with finishing the race. Paul said, I finished the race. Can you say, I'm walking in the race, I'm running the race. It's a marathon, not a 100-yard dash. He said, I finished the race. And then he said, there's a crown laid up for me. We get all excited when LeBron James throws a slam dunk over somebody, and or we see the Olympics or the Super Bowl and this, that, and the other thing. That's, I don't even know who won the Super Bowl three years ago, to be honest with you. But there is a crown awaiting that will last for eternity. Jesus said, don't let anybody steal your crown. What does that mean? That if you don't obey God, God will give you a crown to somebody else who does what you're supposed to do. He could do that with churches. He could do that with individuals. But I believe God is upon his hand is upon this great church. And I believe that you guys have an assignment that's multi-generational. I believe your assignment is so great that you will never be able to do everything God has called this church to do in your lifetime. Part of your assignment is this young adults ministry. Passing the baton, preparing the next generation, preparing your spiritual children, your biological children. As I end... The scariest thing I could ever think about would be when I stand before Jesus as my judge. Not for salvation, that's for the lost. But all of us, according to 2 Corinthians 5.10, will stand, all Christians will stand before what's in the Greek, the beam of judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand before him. One of the scariest things I could ever imagine is Jesus saying to me something like, wow, you wrote a lot of nice books. You preached a lot of big conferences. Boy, you did all this. Good. But I never told you to do that, did I? One of the scariest things is to be painting the wrong house or having your ladder up on the wrong wall or being successful something that God never told you to be successful in. The biggest enemy of God's calling your life is distractions, good opportunities. He doesn't come with a red suit and a pitchfork. He comes as an angel of light. Be focused. Support your church. 
understand that there is a corporate destiny. Avoid all this individual garbage on social media, all these prophecies and prophets, and not all of them are bad, but so many have never been vetted. We don't even know who they're married to, what, who they're submitted to, and they're given prophetic words, all these teachings and aberrant. No, no, no. You're in a solid place. Focus on what God has given you here because you're not going to get better. How many of you want to fulfill the assignment? Part of that is financially investing, praying for your pastors, praying that this church continues to go from glory to glory, praying and believing God that he's going to have his way. Why don't we just stand up? I just want to end in prayer. And I'm going to ask Pastor GD and Kambola just to come up here for a minute. And I want you all also to stretch forth your hands towards them because the Bible says if you shepherd the sheep are scattered they are the number one target for the evil one they are the ones with the target on their forehead the devil will attack them whether it's their marriage or their children or whatever I'm not trying to put fear I'm just being honest and if he can't get them he'll try to get the closest ones to them in the church if he can't get them he'll get the next round he'll get the next he'll try everything he can his only goal is always the same it's always division he knows that he could never stop a united church so his goal is always division how he accomplishes it what method he uses and who he uses is always different because he's a sly snake. Doesn't try the same thing twice usually unless people are stupid enough to allow him to do that. But I want us to pray another 15 years. Look, our church celebrated 37 years. And that was uh, in January. And let me tell you something. If God wasn't with us, we wouldn't have made it. We're almost 40 years. But I just want you to stretch forth your hands. And Father, we thank you for this mighty couple. We thank you, Father, for the best is yet to come. We thank you that you have called them both together as a power couple, as a power team to do great exploits. Father, protect them protect their time. Help them, God, to have boundaries that nobody will violate. That they would have time together. That they will have time as a marriage. That they will have time on vacation. That they will have time alone in prayer. That they will have time together enjoying themselves. Uh, relaxing, even if the enemy is attacking. That they would enter your rest. Uh, and that they would not operate out of a mode of warfare, but out of a mode of rest. Uh, out of a mode of faith. Uh, that they would not allow, God, that the church would not allow them to operate on adre adrenal stress is uh, 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 something that will hurt them physiologically and mentally and emotionally. Father, that they would have a shield around them, not just Jehovah, but church, uh, but people who love them, people who are loyal to them, people who will be surrounding them. God, raise up armor bearers that will take the hit even before it comes to them. Raise up intercessors in the spirit that will be armor bearers. Give them a hundred people in this church that will be committed to praying for them, praying for the church, believing for the finances, believing for the destiny 
upon this generation, that they would do what it said about David, that he fulfilled God's purpose for his generation, that they would fulfill God's purpose for their generation, and that every person here would be part of that. Thank you, God, that no weapon formed against them will prosper, but every tongue that rises against them, they will refute because this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord, and their vindication comes from you, not from man. For if God is with us, who could be against us? He who spared not his only begotten Son, how much more will he also freely with him give us all things? Who will condemn God's elect? Nobody. Nobody. Because it's God who justified, who called, who glorified, and who set them apart to preach the gospel. Even as Paul was set apart for the faithfulness of God's elect, so these two have been set apart for the faithfulness of God's elect. And even as it says in Titus chapter 1, that God manifested his will through preaching that was committed unto Paul, God manifested his will through the preaching and teaching and shepherding and pastoral work that you have committed to this lovely couple. So, Father, we thank you. you, Father, we pray for the whole congregation. Just put your hand up right now and just begin to pray. Just push away doubt, push away challenges, push away everything. Just repeat after me. Say, Dear Father, through your strength, I can run through a troop. I will finish the race. I will not allow distractions to stop me from focusing on that which you've called me to do as part of this church. Thank you that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the Gape house. In Jesus' name, Let's give the Lord a big clap offering. Let's put our hands together. Let's give him praise. Give him praise. Give him worship. Have you been blessed by the word? What a word from the Lord for us, for the church. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for ministering to us, challenging us about your plan and purpose for the church. And we thank you for confirming what you have started to speak to us. And we just thank you. Can we just stretch forth our hands to the bishop and just bless him? So, Father, we just uh, bless your servant. We thank you for the apostolic gift and ministry that you have given to him. And we pray, Lord, you will continue to strengthen him. You will, take, you will take him from strength to strength. And, Lord, we pray that you will bless his church, bless his family. We pray, Lord, you will release resources. You will release people, finances, you know, open doors for him to finish his race. He has a much bigger assignment. But, Father, I'm praying that you will give him much bigger grace, favor, Lord, and increase and provision. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's put our hands together. I'm going to hand over to one of my precious sisters. Amen. Praise the Lord. Agape. 